Hey friends, this is Keenan, the Creative Arts Minister at the Christian Church of Carl Junction. And I just want to say thank you for joining us for this podcast. The Christian Church of Carl Junction exists to glorify God by being disciples who make more disciples. We do that by coming to God, thriving in family, and going on mission for His kingdom. We hope that this podcast helps you take next steps in following Jesus with everything that you have. Now, here's today's podcast episode. Good morning. It's good to see you all today. A uh, few things we want to mention real quick, just to just to get everything out on the open. Uh, some of you know me, some of you may not, especially those of you online, you may not have seen me up here for sure. Uh, but my name is John Desmond. I'm one of the four elders here. And I think that today... I may be the only elder here today. Uh, I know we have we have a group down in Mexico on a missions trip. One of our elders is down in Mexico teaching and preaching in a college. And uh, Harvey will probably be at the 11. But uh, anyway, so here we are, and it's 9.30 service. We are online, and so appreciate you guys being here with us as well. But it's a great day. Funny thing, though, it seems like every time we have a difficult passage, Adam is always gone. I don't know how that happens. The elders always preach on a difficult passage. Adam, he may be watching, he may not, but it's terrible. It's terrible. I'm just kidding, kind of. But today, our passage is kind of difficult, but I honestly, I think by the end of the, by the, end of the time, I think we may, it may be difficult because we make it difficult. So hopefully we'll clarify some things today as well. Also, what about this backdrop? Isn't that cool? I was told that if you turn the lights out, turn the black light on, stuff glows in there. I was kind of hoping that Rebecca would do that, but she's not. So I thought that would be a cool backdrop. Uh, but we're getting set up for VBS next week. So that's, that's why we have such a cool backdrop, and it makes me look a little bit better. So I can appreciate that. Well, we're here today. We're going to be talking, if you'd like to turn to Mark chapter 11, that's where we're going to be today, Mark chapter 11. And I, I'm going to ask a couple questions. First off, do you, anybody in this room, I know I do, but do you guys ever have anything that just kind of sets you off, events that take place or something somebody says, and it's just every single time you hear that or you see that, you just kind of, ah, like that, you know, just kind of set you off? I mean, really, take you, something that would take you to the point of, of you know, almost losing your witness. You know what I mean? It's just like, ah, I hate when that happens, stuff like that. Something that might make us maybe not be so normal, something that takes us away from being who we are. Let, let me share one with you from, for, for me. What I dislike most, probably most of all things in life that will set me off, is when children disrespect their parents. That just, ugh, it just gets me to the point I just want to go, stop it. You know, I just want to approach them and say, what are you thinking? You know, you grab them and shake them. What are you, what are you doing that? But when I think about it, I don't know if it's really the disrespect or the fact that the parents allow that to happen. I don't know which it is that gets to me most, but it just bothers me when parents or children disrespect their parents. Well, you don't know what my parents were like, and you don't know that. But you're not just you're not respecting the person necessarily as much as you are the role that they have in your life. They are a parent. And we all make mistakes as parents, right? We do. I mean, if you think you're a perfect parent, boy, I bet your children will have some stories to, to share with you. Because uh, I know for a fact 
We, we make mistakes. And we put ourselves in position. Both my daughters are here today. You are not allowed to share stories. But they, we do that. But disrespecting parents, just it, just it just gets to me. But aside from that, you know, things... But things also happen in our life that causes stress, doesn't it? It takes us to a point where we begin to act different than we normally do. It takes us to a point where we will respond just... Just like that, we just respond to something, and later on, when everything settles down, we kind of get embarrassed about our reaction and and how we handle certain things. You guys ever been in that situation? Let me share another one with you. It's funny that my oldest daughter, she just shows up, right, and her husband, and my grandbaby, yeah. But this story about them, so don't everybody look at them. I usually always try and share a story. So years ago, when I was a student at Ozark Christian College, I was a husband, a dad, a student, an employee. I was, I'm working 30 plus hours a week, carrying 12 to 14 hours at Ozark Christian College, being a dad and a husband. I was pretty busy. And then to add to that, I was preaching full time at a church in Joplin. So I was a pretty busy guy. And study time and sleep time were kind of rare. <laughs> and I needed both. Uh, one night, I'm, my wife was, out of the house, she was doing a Pamper Chef kitchen show, shameless plug. But she was doing a kitchen show one night, and so she was out, so it was me and the girls. So they always had a strict bedtime, and that was it. Because when they go to bed, then I had the rest of the evening where I could study and be prepared for my next day in class. But one night, they just oh, they just wouldn't go to sleep. I put them to bed, and I said, go to sleep. Okay, Dad, put them to sleep. And I go out, and I'm sitting in the living room, and I'm trying to study. I've got the books cracked. I'm in the living room. I'm on the, on the coffee table. It's all full, and I'm trying to study. And, and I kept hearing, <laughs> well, their bedroom was right off the living room. Their bedroom door was right in the living room. So I went over, there, I opened the door. I said, you need to be quiet and go to sleep right now because I need to study. I need some quiet. I, don't, I can't keep coming back and forth to the bedroom telling you to go to sleep. Okay, Dad. Shut the door. Go back. Start studying. <laughs> then I hear toys clanging. And about two or three times in the bedroom, I finally had enough. And I, I opened their door kind of in a rough way, and I said, shut up and go to sleep. And I slammed the door. A few seconds later, I hear crying. I was like, what are they crying about? So I get back up, I open the door. What is wrong? What are you crying about? And my oldest daughter, she said, you said shut up. But there's a backstory to that. Before my daughters were even born, I made a commitment to myself that I would never, ever, ever say shut up to my children. Never under any circumstance. To this day, they're both married, and I still don't tell them to shut up. Because it, personally, I don't care if you do your children. I don't care. I don't care if my wife said it to our kids. I don't care. I really don't. It's not going to go, I'm not going to be, I can't believe you said that to your kids. I don't care. It's me personally. It's crass to me. And so I made a commitment to myself. That was my standard. I never. I would say, hush, be quiet, settle down. You're going to get beaten here in a minute. Stuff like that. <laughs> never shut up to this day except that one time because I was stressed. I allowed a situation to take me to a place that, I shouldn't have been, and I was embarrassed later. But it was as if I cussed, you know, and it, it really upset my oldest daughter. Or the fact that I was mad and now she had to go to sleep. I don't know which it was, but 
uh, I'm just going to take that. It upset her because I was, I was being outside of my normal character. But we all have choices to make. I could have said, well, if they hadn't have been like that, I would have never been like that. I would have never said that. Had they not stressed me out, had they done what they're supposed to, I could have blamed it on them very easily. But the reality is I allowed myself to be taken somewhere that I shouldn't have been. And it caused me embarrassment, caused them to be upset. They went to sleep after that, by the way. (laughs) It scared them and me both. But I believe that we often allow those things to happen in our lives but because we, you know, Adam talked last week, the week before, he talked about protecting this facade that we set up, right? He talked about that. We set this facade up, and we keep that very safe, and we want to make sure that that is safe. And I, I think sometimes we all, we, we will say something like, well, I'm only human, and that's just going to happen. That's part of that facade. We're protecting that, right? And, and I began protecting it. Even though I was embarrassed, it was their fault because they didn't go to sleep. Not my fault because I overreacted. I had a facade to protect. And, and it, it's important. And when we approach Scripture, we do the exact same thing. I, I firmly believe that we often read Scripture and we see things that the disciples did or other people did or Jesus did. And in order to protect that facade, we stand back and we go, oh, I can't believe that he did that. I can't believe he said that. That's so out of character for Jesus. Why would he do that? And then we begin to move in this place there. We know that we're trying to, we're trying to take a loving Jesus to people who are far from him. And so we want to protect that. We want to not only protect our facade, but we built this facade around Jesus and his ability to interact with people. And so we try to protect that. Well, we try to explain it away. And we try to cover for Jesus. Well, it was a, it was a, a righteous anger. What, what's a righteous anger? I went to Ozark. I know I explained it all. It was a righteous anger. He was mad. He was angry. Our choices that we make when we face decisions are based on our decisions that we make when faced with that decision, right? So I can either choose to do this or I can choose to do that, but I will always do the thing that protects that facade. That makes me look better. That makes Jesus look better. That makes it easier to take Jesus to the people. I don't want to have to explain away that God got mad. And so I have to make a reason or why God could get mad. That helps me. We see something Jesus did and we, we focus on pointing a finger. We say, I can't believe he did that. That was so out of character for a loving God. Why would, why would Jesus do that? Well, why would Mark write about it? Now we have to deal with it because Mark wrote about it. And we try to explain it away. Labeling it as something to make us feel better and to benefit us so that it's easier for us to witness. But in the, the bottom line is the word, you simply put, is angry. Jesus got angry. There's no other way to get around it. We, we can't get it out from the text. We're going to read it here in a minute. We can't avoid it. Jesus got angry. So at that point, when we read that, we study it, we go, uh-oh, uh-oh. How are we going to explain that away? How are we going to cover for him? How are we going to spend the rest of our lives trying to make Jesus look like a good guy now because he came out and got all angry, started throwing stuff around in the temple? How are we going to cover for that? Whisk them away. Not allow them to ask, take questions. 
because he's just going to he's just going to throw a, a holy temper tantrum. So out of character. I don't think it was a holy temper tantrum. I think Jesus got angry. And I think Jesus went in, just like Scripture says, and he went in and started picking stuff up and throwing it around, started running people out. Let, let's read Mark chapter 11, verse 12 through 19. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Something we've got to remember takes place. It's right before our text. Jesus had already entered Jerusalem. He'd already been to the temple the night before. And he went in there and he saw what was taking place. But because it was late, he chose to leave and they went into Bethany with his disciples. The next day he came in. And just cleaned house. So Jesus had already been there. He had a whole evening, a whole night to think about what was taking place in that temple. He was geared up. You understand, he was ready to go. This was premeditated. He was, he was ready to go. When he hit the doors of the temple, he was ready. He was already worked up. He was already fired up. He was already angry. He was ready to go in and throw some things around, right? That's just, we got to be honest. That's what happened. So how do we explain it away? How do we explain a God who just walks in and just rips the place apart? The weird thing is, it's not the only time we see Jesus out of character. Understand, it's the character that, the character I'm talking about is the character that we set for him. It's the way we see him. Mark has a great tendency to set that aside and show us a little bit more about Jesus that makes us uh, squirm just a bit in our chairs. Back in chapter 7, verse 18, Jesus asked his disciples, they were having some troubles understanding his teaching. And he'd been with them for quite a while now, but they were having troubles understanding what makes a person impure, unclean. Is it what goes in or what comes out? Is it food you eat? Is it food you don't? And he can't understand, so he's teaching the crowd about this with his disciples sitting there. Later on, after everybody's leaving, the disciples were like, we don't get it. And Jesus simply asked him, he said, why are you so dull? Most pastors say dull, most translations but the word translated, it literally means senseless, unintelligent, and here's the big word, stupid. It literally translates. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, why are you being so stupid? Exclamation point. Why are you being like this? That sets us off a little bit. Mark's putting us on the edge of our seat. I don't like Jesus acting like that. And then later on, chapter 9, verse 19, when Jesus said to the disciples and the crowd, after the, the disciples couldn't seem to drive out this demon, right, this spirit, later on the disciples were like, Jesus, they got him off the side. Why couldn't we do that? But in front of everybody, he said to, said to the, the crowd and the disciples, he said, how long am I going to have to stay with you? Seriously, how long am I going to have to put up with you? 
And that's exactly the way it's translated. He is frustrated with the people. How many times we said that to our kids? Sometimes when our parents get older, we say that to parents, how long am I going to have to put up with you? Can't you just do it the way I asked? Can't you just do it the way I tell you? I'm frustrated here. And it's the same sense that we get from the passage. It's the same translation. That's, That's what we get from it. Jesus is frustrated because they're not getting it. I don't like the way Mark is portraying Jesus. It's making me a little uneasy. I mean, after one or two things, but man, I'm getting tired of covering for the guy. I'm getting tired of arguing with those who are far from him that he's a loving God when he goes in and does these things. How do we explain away the anger, the frustration, the straightforwardness of Jesus? Are we called in this text to read into Jesus getting angry? Or is there something that we're missing? I'd like to think there's something we're missing. I'd like to think that there's something there that would be better to, to, to focus on. And I think there is. I don't think we're missing it. I think we're protecting that facade. I think we're trying to explain something away rather than dealing exactly what's taking place in the passage. Jesus went into a temple, God's temple, Destroyed the place, run people out, some patches, cracking whips, turning over chairs, turning over tables, not allowing people to come in and out, just running them off. I mean, think about it. It's like a madman in there just doing stuff, just throwing stuff, flipping stuff over. And you've seen stuff like that take place. It's like nobody could stop him. Everybody's like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Jesus, a little over the top there, mister. (laughs) Do we need to put you in a timeout? Right? It's what is taking place? Jesus was stopping the buying and selling of animals for sacrifices. Jesus was stopping the exchanging of money. Jesus was stopping business trading. He was no doubt stopping underhanded deals taking place. Church, he wasn't in there throwing a holy temper tantrum. He wasn't in there keeping people from doing business. He wasn't against entrepreneurship. He wasn't against people in there doing stuff. What he was against was the sin taking place in a holy building, in a place that housed the very presence of God in the past, the very building that stood to protect the whole Jewish nation, the temple of God in the center of the city of David, a house of prayer, a holy place. He was in there cleaning the house. He was running out sin. Sin can't reside in the presence of God. Therefore, sin cannot reside in the temple. And he was making sure that it was gone. And he had all night to think about it. He was jazzed up and ready to go. I guess about the only way that we can really explain it, the only way we can really deal with it is to just to put it out there that sin moves Jesus to action. I guess that's about the only way we can really say it. That's not the way we normally look at that passage, though, is it? We look at the anger side, and I think what we're supposed to be looking at is the sin side. Jesus was simply clearing the temple of sin that was taking place. That's it. 
That's all he was doing. Well, let me stop right there for a moment. Let me, let me just stop there for a moment because it's, it's hard to conceive that in the temple of God, the very place that they hold, the, the Jewish nation held so high in regard, not just Jerusalem, the temple, that they had gotten so much over time to the point that not only was there sin in the people's lives, but there was sin in the very temple of God. They were using that to produce more sin. And nobody seemed to be upset about it. Nobody. It was business as usual. It was like going to the mall. You could go anywhere you want. They're selling that stuff over there, selling that over there, selling it over there. You get a money chain, go to the ATM over there. You can do this over there and over there. And It was everywhere. Nobody was upset about the sin that was taking place and where it was taking place. So let me ask you a question. If sin moves Jesus to action, what moves you to action? Does sin move you to the point of action? Does sin rile you? Does it, as people say, does it get your blood boiling? When you see a brother or sister in Christ sinning, do you want to, do you want to run at him? Do you, you think about it for a while and you get all jazzed up on fire and you're ready to go confront that sin and tell him, I love you. I want to get you out of that. I'm here to be with you. I'm here to help you get free of that. Do we do that? Does the sin in people's lives move us to that action? Does sin in your own life? You know you do. Everybody does. We're not, we're not Jesus. We're not sinless people. We all make mistakes. We all sin, right? Maybe I should have took a poll as you guys came in. Do you sin or don't you? Because this sermon may not be right for you if you don't. We all sin. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? We all sin. Does your sin move you to action? Or are we more concerned about protecting that facade? (laughs) Stop. I don't do that. I don't do that. My sin's in secret. Nobody knows. Yes, because you're protecting your facade. (laughs) Most people aren't going to walk down the street, Hey, guess what I did today? And I'm not sorry for it. What moves you to action? What makes you get to the point that Jesus was at and say, enough is enough. It stops right now. I know you don't like what I'm about to say to you, but I love you enough to confront the sin that I know you're doing. And I'm here to help you and to love you through that, to get you out of that so you can get back right with God. I'm here for that. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to do all that. I'm here to say, you know it, I know it. Let's do something about that. Doggone it, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to hurt their feelings. So we're just going to leave them sit behind their facade. As long as they don't do it right out in public, everybody can see it, it should be okay. We'll just let them destroy themselves privately. I don't know. What makes you say enough is enough? How about when someone cuts you off on the road? 
they turn in in front of you or they pass you, another car's coming, they cut you off, you know, and you're like, you start acting crazy. My favorite is when somebody's coming at me, they cut me off or something, I'm like, that way I don't verbally sound like an idiot. I just physically look like one. (laughs) What are you doing? Did you see the sign, the sign, the sign, the sign? (laughs) You're laughing because you do it too. How about when someone cuts in line at Walmart? Good grief, you've already been standing there for 40 minutes. And then somebody just cuts right in front of you. Excuse me. Well, you could go down the self-checkout. I don't work here, though. A little more serious. How about when you see a woman being abused? You see a husband hitting his wife. Is enough enough? You're going to step in? Are you just going to protect your facade? How about when children are being abused? Is that worth stepping in and say enough is enough? You're not going to hurt that child any longer? Or are you going to just stand back and watch it? When's enough enough? How about when Christians use foul language, speak ungodly words, maybe... Take the Lord's name in vain, even. Is enough enough? What makes you say that? For Moses, we all know about Moses. Moses, it was the beating of a fellow Hebrew. He killed an Egyptian because he was beating a fellow Hebrew. Enough's enough. You've got to leave the Hebrews alone. Stop doing that. He killed an Egyptian and... And he had to run away from Egypt, right? For Nehemiah, it was hearing about the state of Jerusalem. Remember when he got word? He'd never even been to Jerusalem. But he was a faithful Jew, and he heard about how Jerusalem had been destroyed and it laid waste. He didn't really know at the time that the temple had already been worked on and the temple was being restored and it was almost back to its its glory days. But he just heard about the walls and everything was in shambles and, and Jerusalem was, was very vulnerable to its enemies. And the scripture says he sat down and he wept. And he said, enough is enough. Jerusalem needs to rise again. And he went to the king that he was serving. He said, king, I want to go. and I want you to grant me some time to, to go do this. And the king said, not only will I grant you that, I'm going to give you materials and money and it's safe passage and I'm going to give you everything. Enough's enough. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was a law that said, everybody must bow down to this statue. And they said, yeah, no, that's not going to happen with us. We're not going to do that. But I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace. Yeah, we, okay, but I'm not bowing down to that statue. I may go to my knees in the fire, but it's not because I'm bowing to that statue. And we know the end of that story. God said, I got you. Don't you worry about it. For Queen Esther, it was Haman's plot to destroy the Jews. She got word that, that Haman wanted to, to annihilate the whole, the whole Jewish nation, just Kill them all. She said, I'm not having any of that. And she approached the king without invitation, which can get you killed, no matter if you're queen or not, can get you killed on the spot. She went right before the king. He was sitting on his throne, and she said, I've got some news to share with you. You know, your your guy, Haman, he wants to kill all the Jews. And guess what? Those are my people. And she she kept that from happening. Because she said, enough's enough. 
the list can go on and on and on and on. But again, what moves you to action? What makes you get out of your comfort zone and stand up for something that God stands for? Something that Jesus said, enough is enough. Does sin move you to action? Yours or anybody else's? For Jesus, it was always sin. Still is and always will be. He hates sin, despises sin. In John, first John chapter three, verse four, John wrote, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. Jesus doesn't like sin. It keeps us from him. It doesn't keep him from us, it keeps us from him. Because as long as we're sinning, we're worshiping that sin. We're focusing on that, and we're not focusing on living for God. A little bit later in that, that same chapter of 1 John, verse 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. <laughs> That's what he did in the temple that day. I don't know about you guys. I don't know your story. Everybody has a story. I understand that. But before, before I became a follower of Christ, I was doing some pretty good devil's work. I was working hard, very hard for the enemy. Some of you have heard it before, and most of you probably haven't. My, one of my favorite things to say back then, when I would leave my buddies, we would close the bar, or we'd do this, or we'd do that, or we're out causing this problem, cause that problem. But when I'd get in my car and head home, I'd always, 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 without failure, I'd always turn around and wave, and I'd say, see you in hell if I don't see you tomorrow. <laughs> Seriously? I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Jesus got angry at the sin of the people. Sin had led them, not only it controlled their life, but it led them to hurting their fellow Jewish people. They were, they were hurting them with their sin. They were, they were dragging them into the same sin. They were, they were teaching them how to sin. They were, they were hurting their people, and Jesus always hurts when his people hurt. Always, always, always. He wept over the city as he was entering the night before. Stopped and just wept. Why would he do? Why would he stop and weep over a whole city? Because in the scripture it says, just right before our text today, it says because as he was entering the city, he stopped and he just overlooked Jerusalem. And he just stopped and he wept. And the reason why he wept is because all of the people in Jerusalem, they had no idea of God's coming to them that day. They had no idea that God was about to personally, physically enter into their presence right in the middle of all the muck and the mire that they developed. And here comes God walking straight into the city. And they had no clue. And he wept because the sin of the people view, or distorted their view. It blocked their view of seeing the, the Messiah coming. The sin in the temple blocked Every, everything that they could be doing there. And Jesus hurt. 
Sin moves Jesus into action. And church, sin should make us angry. It should make us angry. Not shake our heads and go, oh, man, I hate that for them. It just breaks my heart that they're doing that. Does it really? <laughs> Does it really? Are you willing to go in and turn tables over? Are you willing to go in and run people out? Are you willing to go in and call sin what it is? Does sin move you to action like Jesus? Do you get angry? You should. And it should. But today, you have an opportunity. You do. You have an opportunity today to say, enough is enough. I'm done. I'm sick and tired of sin. I'm sick and tired of the devil playing in my house, in my churches, in my friend's house, my workplace, my school place. I'm sick of the devil doing his work. And from now on, enough's enough, and I'm taking action. I'm not, I'm not standing for it anymore. You have that opportunity. If you're here today and you've not surrendered your life to Christ, you have not made the decision to step forward and say, enough's enough. I can't live like this anymore. I need freedom. I need my sin forgiven and gone. I need Jesus. I need a Lord in my life rather than my sin. I was there. Sin was the Lord in my life. As a matter of fact, I was so excited the day I shared an 8 o'clock service as well. I was so excited the day that I got immersed into Christ. I was jazzed up. I was not such a good guy. It wasn't in this building, but I was in a baptistry, obviously, and, and I didn't realize that this thing called echoing happens. <laughs> so Doug Fadness, the preacher there at the time, dunked me, brought me back up. I shook off, and I turned around, and I said to Doug, I said, man, I'll bet the devil's mad now. And it just echoed out, and everybody laughed. I was a little embarrassed, but it was, it was right, because I said enough was enough. Enough was enough. I'm not living like that anymore. And you have that opportunity if you find yourself far from God today. If you've not surrendered, you've not been immersed into Christ, and that's how we, we do that here. We immerse you into water and raise you up to live a new life. You have that opportunity. Here in just a minute, Kenan's going to sing, and during that song, I'm going to go right out that door, and I'm going over here to the new Next Steps table. For you, you can go out either door you want, turn to the left, and you'll see me standing right over there. I would love love, love, love to talk to you about that. Talk to you about the freedom that comes in Christ. Enough's enough. Let's say you've been here, you're here, and you've been, you've been a follower of Christ for a long time. I was 26 years old when I surrendered my life to Christ, and I'm 55 now. It's been a while, a couple of years, a couple of years. But over time, right, you guys can probably relate, over time, the urgency of Christ seems to wane and we get back to the mundane life and we get back to this and sin slowly begins to creep back into our lives to where it becomes part of our life and it's not a sin anymore it's just something that we do right it's just part of who I am we need to repent we just need to say enough is enough and repent and then work on following him closer I'm going to be out at that table out there I would love for you to come out and share that because that's the challenge today. 
the challenge for those who have been followers of Christ for a while is simply this. Today's the day to say enough is enough. I'm not, I'm not letting the devil mess with me anymore. Enough's enough. That's your challenge. Stop right there and start living for him like we did that first day. That's your challenge. Father God, we are so grateful to you for your son Jesus. And God, I am so thankful for the opportunity that you've given us to not just live for you, but to live in you and you live in us. And Father, it is such a joy to be a follower of yours, to know that we have a God who is sick of sin, that is willing to step out of character in our perspective, to cleanse a temple, to go in and do things that we wouldn't expect you to do simply because you are moved into action by sin. And Father, help us to be that way. May we make that choice. May we have that desire in our lives to hate sin so much that we're willing to step out and eradicate. God, you are so worthy of everything. And we love you. And we're thankful for you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Christian Church of Carl Junction podcast. If you're looking to take next steps of following Jesus, please email me at Kenan at cccj.church. And I would love to connect with you in taking your next step in following Jesus.